Welcome to Return on Character Podcast, the podcast that tells character-shaping stories with famous and should-be-famous leaders. Hi, everybody. This is Dan Cooper. Thanks for tuning in. I was recently on the Jess Larson Show on Innovation and Leadership. We decided to go ahead and post that show on Return on Character Podcast for you all to enjoy. So for anybody who missed uh, when you were on last time, um, founder of Return on Character, uh, can you talk to us about the strategy and what you guys do? Well, at the heart of what we do is really being inspired by the research that's, that's, that's focused on the behavior of corporate leaders and the consequence of that behavior over research on performance. And uh, about 20 years ago, when I was working for my mentor, Joe Ritchie, um, he turned to me one day, kind of in a fluke, and I don't know if he was just kind of having a daydreaming, but he said, hey, it wouldn't be amazing to know who the good character CEOs are in the marketplace. Um, and at the time, I was reading the book, book Good to Great and learning all about level five leaders. And, um, and I was also working with this industrial site company that helped other companies find certain personality types for certain jobs. And I, I kind of sheepishly put my hand up and said, Joe, I think I could go do that. And, and that's what I did. So, so, so I went out and ba built a behavior-based interview around Jim Collins' level five leadership and started interviewing um, Wall Street analysts and asking them questions they'd never been asked before. Like, of the companies you follow, who would put the company before their, their own interests? Or of the companies that you follow, uh, what CEOs are more humble than they are arrogant? Uh, or have you tell me about a story of when a CEO stood up and owned a mistake or when things went well, they gave credit to, the, to their team. And, and so I just started building this system that actually quantified the degree of our confidence uh, in the way in which uh, CEOs were behaving in various different sectors built a portfolio around it, and we allocated capital purely on the basis of that one factor. Um, back then, of course, it was pretty pretty novel. I don't know if anyone else was doing it, uh, but Joe Ritchie was the man that had the courage to try. And I was the luckiest guy in the world to, to be able to be the implementer and kind of the developer of it. But that's how it got started, Jess. Well, uh, you know, since we've been hanging out and doing things together, uh, I went and got the book, Return on Character, and uh, and become a Fred Keel fan, and it's interesting to me to be able to see like it tracked over time and documented and peer reviewed, and uh, you know I was influenced just by you talking about this, and then that yeah. book was kind of like the one two punch for me. C can you talk a bit about the book? Yeah, the the book it came along a lot a lot later. Um, actually, it came along. Um, I was I had gone off and. Uh, sowed my wild oats and tried to build a railroad in Africa for a period of time. And while I was there, Fred Keel wrote this book uh, called Return on Character. And it was a seven-year study of what he called virtuoso CEOs and self-centered CEOs. And he analyzed the company's performance during the, during the period of seven years and discovered that uh, virtuoso CEOs outperform uh, the self-centered CEOs by 5X over time. Uh, their companies also tended to have lower debt and higher return on equity and higher employee engagement. And, 
And it was so intriguing that the Harvard Business Review published a book. Um, and, and when I was coming back uh, to the United States and I started thinking about what the next phase was, I, I really had this feeling in my gut like, you know, it, as a society, we needed something, some way to affirm character. And, and of course, I couldn't help but reference my original strategy. And uh, I Googled one day, I said, I Googled, does anyone care about character anymore? And that's how I discovered that book that you read, Jeff, Jess, and referenced. And I ended up calling Fred and subsequently the CEO of CareW, which is the affiliated um, company that helps companies develop character. And they ended up leading our research for this round, uh, which was the eventual development of Rock Investments investment strategy. Uh, one of the things that I think it's important to, to kind of, to, to go back and I, that's a big piece of foundational research. Uh, I think Collins's work on level five leadership is a, another seminal piece. Uh, but what was fun is I was able to go back and look at the original character fund that Joe and I developed to see how that developed. And so for four and a half years, when we were investing in it live, it outperformed very, very well. Uh, on a market cap basis, or it, it was equally weighted to 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 the S and P. Um, Twenty years later, we went and, and looked and said, "Well, what if we had not stopped investing and continued to invest, only dropping companies when CEOs retired?" And that same high rate of return continued for for twenty years, and then we analyzed why. Because in the financial industry, there's lots of reasons why um, certain performance can be attributed to other things that you didn't mean for them to be attributed, i.e. didn't mean that character really was the contributing factor. And we analyzed, the, we did a factor analysis, and the factor analysis found that only 30% of that outperformance over the 20 years was attributed to traditional factors, which means not character. 70% of the outperformance was attributed to something we'd never seen before. And we came to believe that we kind of just stumbled onto a new factor, which is the, the leadership factor, as I like to call it, the character factor. And so that was like the third leg of the stool of research that just gave us a lot of confidence that there's something here. Um, that even if you didn't believe in character or, or it was a signal that had nothing to do with good behavior, it was a strong enough signal to say, man, this is where starting an investment strategy around. Uh, we just happen to have kind of the benefit of an impact connection to, to the story, but it really did start off with the premise that we're trying to identify an inefficiency in the market. Well, you know, we, we talked about this a while back um, in good to great when he says, I was determined that we weren't going to put something fluffy in the book like leadership, Yeah, you know? And, and uh, basically, somebody on my team came and confronted me and said, I thought you cared about the data. And the data says leadership does matter. And I had to, <laughs> I had to go back on what I was sure the answer was because the data proved me wrong. So I, I love that. Yeah. Right. Which shows his character. But yeah. I got to have. A, so the guy who did that. So, you know, they referenced the 26,000 hours of research that went into that. Mm -hmm. And yep. again, I think one of the reasons that book is so relevant all these years later still is 
empirically based. Like they gave numbers. I mean, haven't yeah. we all read the book that's like, you're pretty sure the author came up with the idea first and just hunted around for an anecdotal story right. to prove his point. That's right. You know, where he was willing to do things like, like uh, change his outputs based on the data, right? Yeah. So that guy's name is Nate Bagley, I believe. Hmm. Uh, I can't remember exactly, but I'm pretty sure it's Nate Bagley. And if you look at the photo at the front of all those interns and research assistants and stuff, he, yeah. uh, it'll be listed there. I think he might be the first name, but he was the lead researcher. So that whole big team, he was the lead researcher working um, on the project. And so he got elected the one to go say, Jim, you're wrong. So I got to have a phone call with him once talking about that. You know, what was that like from the other side of having to go tell oh Jim he was wrong, you know? And it was just like, it was black and white. Like it, it showed up in the data and, and so we had to, we had to bring it up. Right. And I, and I love that we can stand on those research uh, projects and feel confident that there's evidence behind the theory. And, um, and it's given me kind of fire in my belly to launch, uh, our first, the first strategy that is available to the public that allocates capital purely on the basis of, of, uh, of character. And, and what we ended up doing this round, Jess, is we borrowed from Fred Keel's book, Return on Character's Definition. And he went around and, and basically broke down the four elements of character, integrity, responsibility, forgiveness, and compassion. And these were the four things that he saw as behavioral characteristics in the virtuoso CEOs. So the ones that best uh, exhibited those four character habits outperform. The ones that didn't have those four character habits actually uh, uh, underperform. And, and so that's what we do. We go out there into the market and we try to pick up what I like to say, like little shavings of gold that most people just kind of throw out and stories, uh, analytical research using artificial intelligence and other things to, uh, to mine for these little shavings and then value them and have them become kind of a, 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 a consideration of how we choose the companies we invested. Well, I was going to say, I think one of the things that's a little bit fun about that story is you proved it with, you know, proved it with your own results and your own data. Jim College and, and Stanford University and their 26,000 hours of, of research proved right. it. Fred Keel and his seven-year study and all those uh, people in the peer-reviewed. And I like Fred's story where it's like, we'd done three years and we went and had it reviewed and they said, come back with more. So you had it, we did more. He came back and said, come back with more. Like, you know, like this like short-term project ended up being seven years long. But it is yeah. interesting that the, the, three, the three of you independently came to the same conclusions unaffiliated with each other. You know, like yes. that's, that's fun. Um, yep. But I think another reason that I was kind of getting excited about this when you started teaching me about it a few months back was it just has a ring to kind of one of my investing heroes. So, uh, you know, one of the, the most devout followers of Warren Buffett, uh, but applying it to the real assets world is Howard Marks at Oak Tree Capital. A lot of people mm. know. <laughs> and he is consistently saying like, hey, listen, I was at, I was at Chicago uh, University of Chicago when modern portfolio theory was getting invented and this idea that yeah. there's efficient markets and all that garbage. And he's like, you know, obviously in the years since it's been proven to be wrong, right? 
But he says there is an aspect of it that people discount, which is if you do have this same information as everyone else, why would you think that you're going to invest so much better than others? And he says, right. you know, one thing like this, they're, sometimes they're throwing the baby out with the bathwater on that stuff is having to look in the mirror and saying like, what do I claim that I know that others don't? Because if I don't claim to know things that others don't, why do I claim I'm going to get a better return than others? Right? <laughs> and he, he, if you read his books, which Mastering the Market Cycle has got to be one of the best ever, you know, the most yeah. important thing is endorsed by Warren Buffett, right? I mean, these are great books. You read his memos, or I just listen to him on Spotify now, his, his podcast, he reads them, <laughs> which is great. But he's constantly saying, you claim you're going to get a higher rate of return. Please share with me your information edge. What do you... What do you know that's not? It's why he likes opaque markets. He, he does credit. He does real estate. He does things where, where there is more chance of, of having superior insight or an information edge. <laughs> and when you talk about what you guys do, it's like the questions nobody else ans asks these analysts. Yeah. Well, by definition, they're unlikely to have the answers that you have because they haven't been asking. You know, you talk yeah. about these little bits of coal that, that get shaved off that other people don't care about because they're they're worried about what's our return on capital employed. They're worried about these metrics, but they're yeah. not asking about the metric you've got. Like it's it's clearly an information edge that um, that's a competitive advantage. It's the basis of our entire the the origination of the entire approach because it was actually our inability to slice and dice known books of data and information and compete on Wall Street. So, geez, we're never going to compete in that, you know, that arena. But if we go over here and we pivot a little bit, it doesn't look like anyone's even putting a value for that. So I'll give you an example. Like, um, I, I was, I was with Tim Senegal yesterday for like four hours and and yeah, he, and he's the CEO and founder of Costco and he was on our original character strategy uh, way back when. And he told me a story about how um, there was this warehouse that uh, discovered, the managers at this warehouse discovered that in their lease, they were supposed to be paying an incremental, you know, more every year to, to the owner of the building. And the owner of the building never contacted him or them, the company, and said, hey, you, you know, you owe us a little bit more every year. And so for 15 years, they kept on paying the same amount. And in the lease, it pointed out that the, the owner of the building was supposed to notify uh, the tenant, but it never happened. And the people at that Costco warehouse came and said, look, you know, we technically should probably pay these guys, came to corporate headquarters, ran up the flagpole and they said, absolutely. And they dished out over a million dollars in back pay without even having to do it. Right. And, and they, Jim, Jim told me, he said, we didn't, we didn't put that cost on the warehouse. We, we paid it at corporate level. So it wasn't, wouldn't reflect that on the numbers, but the thing, and this is the thing that stuck with me is, is that he said something like, what would our employees think if we didn't honor that agreement? How would they feel about the company? Would they be proud to work here? And 
Okay, so you hear a story like that. Let's say you're a Wall Street analyst and you're doing your numbers and your analysts report, you know, at Goldman. How do you factor in a story like that into the valuation of the company and well, explain it? Well, well, you know, I'm going to give an extra 2% because of this little story here or something like that, the valuation. It's very difficult. I, I mean, I don't think they've ever done it. And and so to me, but but if any if any of us were to kind of sit around and talk about it, we say, well, geez, that's that's some strong evidence of some pretty thoughtful leadership that's growing a very strong culture that will probably help the company prevail for years and years in advance. But how do you put that information to work? And that's the kind of information we we love to find on companies, along with other bits of data. Uh, and that's the ed we hope to contribute. Well, and frankly, others aren't quantifying it and trading on it. No, you know what I mean. I don't uh, think so. You know, not at, not at volume. Again, for me, for me, the gold standard investing is is the Warren Buffett Charlie Munger duo, right? And you look at what a diehard fan of Costco Charlie Munger is, right? And yeah, those two are constantly saying things like, "What you really want is you want someone who's very intelligent, uh, high activity, you know, very industrious, and high integrity." And the last one of those three is the most important because otherwise <laughs> they're going to be intelligently and smartly working at trying to make your money their own. Because yeah. they're trying to make more money for you. And it's not a surprise that those type of actions over time have created such a fan of like the most famous investing duo in the history of the world. Jim told me that uh, Charlie told Warren years ago that he should buy Costco stock. And it's the one of two... Uh, pieces of advice Warren did pick up that he regrets to this day. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm interested, you know, there, there's obviously a lot of people watching today or, or listening to this episode um, on audio that really wish they had had the chance to go spend an afternoon with Jim Senegal yesterday. Yeah. Um, yeah. What, what's another insight or what, what's a reflection on having spent that time with him yesterday that you have? One obvious one is this, this, this guy doesn't want to be proud, proudful in any way. Uh, he doesn't like talking about himself. Over 50 people have asked him to ask, asked to write a book about him and he turns it down because he thinks it, it, you know, it might give him an ego trip, you know, and they, he's guarding against things like that. Uh, he, he is not interested in any way as being boastful or prideful. And, um, to, to almost a fault, I would tell him, I'd say, come on, you need to share some of these gems with the world. And he's just, he just can't bring himself to do it, uh, you know, at a big scale. Of course, he's had some big interviews uh, over time, but, but he's not looking for, for accolades. You know, uh, another example, another great story, and this is a tribute to the current CEO, Craig. Uh, he said, uh, he told me the story about how they were selling these diamonds and there's diamond cases in the entrance of the, of the store. And they had, they had marked them cut like Tiffany diamonds, you know? And he says, yeah, he goes, you know, Dan, I, I should never have let them say, you know, to mark them that way because you know, soon after I left, which was in 2012, somewhere along the line, the cut like just dropped out. And it just got tips of the diamonds on it, right? And so pretty soon, all the 
these diamonds that were cut this way, just a Tiffany diamonds on, and they work. And of course, the Tiffany company lawyers up and comes in and 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 says, you know, you're in violation. This is this is terrible. And 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 Costco's lawyers, of course, they respond as a lawyer should. Well, okay, well, we we need to be careful what we say. And and Craig came forward and he said, look, we screwed up, and we need to own our mistake. And and he didn't lawyer up. He sat down with with, with Tiffany's, and and worked it out. You know, and and again, that's a that's another that's an example of the Costco culture carrying on to the next, you know, next steward of of of, of the culture, which was Craig, uh, the current CEO. Uh, anyway, Costco is a great example of the kinds of companies that we look for. And, uh, you know, there's, there's not a lot out there, but we hope to find them. I love that story. You know, another person of, of high character that I know we both look up to is your uh, former mentor, Joe Ritchie. You know, a guy who makes hundreds of millions of dollars, one of the most well-known options traders. And it's interesting that he then goes for such a long-term strategy of, yeah, Dan, let's just invest in character and let it ride, you know? Uh, well, you know, I, 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 I have to let you in on a little secret here. We actually started off by collecting both good information on CEOs and really bad information. And the whole idea was to go long the good guys and short the, good, the oh, really? bad guys initially. And, he was, and so we were going to lever that, come up with a nice little quantitative trading model. And like four months into the strategy, the, sh the shorts were just slaughtering us, just killing us, right? And we slowly sobered up to the fact that the, that the quote unquote self-focused or the bad guys and girls are the best at man manipulating truth. They're the best at kind of pretending everything is okay. Um, and so it became a market timing question. Like when are they going to blow up? We had no idea. So we, we took off the shorts and, and truth be known, Joe was most excited, not about the making of the money of the strategy. He was most excited about knowing who the, the great leaders in, in the markets were uh, because we applied that knowledge to kind of our, he wouldn't like to call it this, but our full philanthropic efforts in, with Rwanda. And, um, and so I took, uh, I took um, President Kagame on roadshows to meet a lot of these CEOs in our fund. And Jim Senegal was one of them. And, uh, it's kind of a funny story. I got to tell you. This well, can, can we pause for one second here? Yeah, yeah. Go yeah. ahead. I think we got to give people context. They might not have heard the last episode that we did together uh, sure. last summer. Like, you know, Joe makes these hundreds of millions of dollars and he's like, let's make the world better. And you guys like go to Afghanistan and work to try to overthrow the Taliban before 9-11. And you're yes. like, you guys are doing like serious stuff, working with the State Department, doing all these things. And so can we have just like a tiny bit of background of how you end up flying all over the country with the Secret Service escorting these heads of state to meet Fortune 500 CEOs? Yeah, it, it's a total testament to Joe Ritchie, my mentor's uh, always innovative approach to try and to uh, impact the world. And one of the things that he said that I, I think was really wise is that anytime you try to do philanthropy, the further away you get from eyeball to eyeball connection with those that you're trying to help, the higher the odds you're going to do damage. And so 
we tended to get involved really deep personally uh, in things. And Joe's, Joe uh, grew up in Afghanistan as a little boy. And so he always had a love for the place. And so we ended up using Joe's influence uh, in Washington, CIA, and State Department and other places to try to move the needle in certain issues around foreign policy, like in Iraq, Afghanistan was one, Rwanda was another, uh, in, in the direction we thought was uh, better. And, uh, and it was kind of Joe's version of philanthropy. Some people cut checks, Joe jumps in and, and, and tries to make a difference. And uh, we were afforded that because we were only managing his money. We weren't managing outside capital so we could kind of uh, get some things going on in the markets and then take time to go do things like this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's really sad for the world that you guys were on the steps of the State Department when you found out about 9-11. You know, like, think, man, yeah. what if they'd been a little earlier, a little faster, right? Um, can you talk about, so Rwanda, this is post-genocide. Yeah. The country's got what, like the worst economy in Africa at the time? Or I mean, they were in, they were in tough shape or something, right? Or am I, am I misremembering I, that? I don't know. I don't know if it was the worst economy in Africa. I would say it was one of the worst brands. Okay. And I mean, you know, a, a genocidal brand is probably the worst carried reputation you could have. And that was one of the things that we really focused on. And that was we had to find things that Rwanda could be known for outside of the genocide. And one of those things was President Kagame's leadership and his connection into, um, or his ability to relate and, and connect with American industry. And our fund and our ability to help facilitate that really played a big role uh, in, in helping him kind of get going in that direction. And Joe esen also, essentially the, the premise there yeah. was, they needed help with trade. They needed help rebuilding their economy. They need help rebranding. And so mm -hmm. you guys called these Fortune 500 CEOs like a Jim Senegal at Costco, arranged yeah. a meeting, had him fly over to the U.S. and come spend one-on-one -on -one time and say, hey, is there anything you can do to help us with, with Rwanda or what advice would you have for us? Or give, yeah. give me some more it was, color It on was that. really based on relationship. I mean, there was no agenda. You know, I mean, we flew in and met with uh, Tim Boyle, the CEO of Columbia Sportswear. Who was on our list? Nothing happened, but Tim became a fan, you know, and and he knows, you know, Kagame and the Rwanda story as a consequence, you know. On, on the upside, uh, Jim and Costco ended up buying, I think, at one point, two thirds of Rwanda specialty coffee and selling them at Costco, you know. And then Jim introduced Kagame to the CEO of Boeing, which started Rwanda's first airline. Uh, I was able to introduce the president to the CEO of Burlington Northern Railways. And he was another one of our high character CEOs, Matt Rhodes. And Matt jumped in and, and proved the viability of, the, of a railroad corridor from Dar es Salaam to Rwanda. All these individuals kind of played a role uh, that was in their kind of in their lane to play the role. And that was, that's what I found is that it's best to to try to make a difference in the area you know best. And uh, that's what we were kind of trying to do. We also got, we, we knew Denny Hastert at the time, who was the Speaker of the House. And Denny played a big role in helping get debt forgiveness um, to the country of Rwanda. Um, and then, and then of course, Joe got Jim, uh, Rick Warren involved. And Rick Warren, in all his 
uh, genius and force came in, came in and, and started rallying the, the local churches in Rwanda and to this day is still engaged doing a lot of amazing things. You know, it's, it's so unique to see government engagement, business engagement, and, and religion engagement. You know, like so often yeah. those, those three are not associated as a trifecta, right? No, no, it, it, was, a, it, it was a charmed time. I mean, I, I remember hosting gatherings at the White House with the Friends of Rwanda community, you know, and, um, and it was just, uh, it, was a, it, was a, it was a special time. And when you're in them, you don't necessarily always recognize it. But, uh, but it, it was an honor. And one of the things that I always dream about with this current strategy that we're running is, is to, you know, at the right time to cross-pollinate good, good people with other good people. Uh, as we as we grow relationships and build the community of people that invest in character, because uh, that's what we really are all about. We want to identify folks that can character matters, willing to put their money behind it, and and uh, and try to move the needle in the right direction. Uh, one of the things that we didn't talk about yet, but we think is a really big part of our company outside of just the research and the premise of this investment strategy is that if we're able to show over time that the portfolio can outperform the market, then the four characteristics that we screen for maybe, and hopefully will start being screened for by boards of directors in Wall Street, and they'll start hiring CEOs on, these, on this basis because it's recognized as a way to help improvement. Uh, I think then the trickle-down effect is that you know, you're building cultures that just are healthier. And, and I think ultimately community and the world is healthier for that as well. And so that's the grander vision um, that we hope to achieve and um, later on. But for now, um, you know, we're, we've launched our little strategy and we, we're, we're looking for people that care and want to join us. Well, I think what's fun for me, like as we've gotten to know each other better too, is is kind of like seeing who's in your circle. You know, like we've all met somebody who talks a really good game, but then the rest of their life doesn't back it up, you know? And like, uh-huh. to me, like, um, it's not just your friends and I know some of your friends, right? But your investors, like we got to interview John Montgomery together. And like, yeah, I'm a fan. Like, you know, yeah. How, how big is how big is Bridger? Like five billion? Yeah. Right? And here's a guy who has given like so much of his personal earnings away to make the world better. And it's yeah. just like a high quality person. Um, is it am I remembering this right? It's fifty percent of his fees that he makes. Fifty percent of the company's profit, Bridgeway Capital Management, the company gives away. Uh, to their foundation, and and their foundation's mission is to help prevent uh, acts of genocide in the world. Yeah, and, I, uh, I read yeah. that book from his executive director, the uh, to stop a warlord. It was yep. so inspirational about going after Joseph Coney, right? Yeah. So Sh- Shannon's a rock star. She's a dear friend. She's one of our board members. Yeah. Oh, I don't think I knew that. Yeah. Really, that's awesome. Okay, so to me, the point of a guy like that who doesn't, like, let's just say, he doesn't need you. He's, he's doing okay. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. like his five billion wasn't built on your reputation. He doesn't need that's you, right. but he chooses you. Like, to me, yeah. that's one other thing. Because, you know, 
people like that in positions like that don't they don't do allocations lightly, right? Sure, they, absolutely. They, they didn't they didn't get that big by being loosey goosey with their allocations, <laughs> and so to me, it's like it's just like one more again one more kind of like testament to this methodology that people who are that serious who have that kind of a track record over decades yeah. uh, have gotten behind you uh, is just one more endorsement in my eyes yeah no i've been lucky i mean in, then you pair that up with joe ritchie and uh and a lot of other folks that uh been mentioned yet uh and it's fun but you know a lot of these people all you know they they discovered maybe early on that chasing after the feeling of doing good is a lot more rewarding than building your bank account or being seen as, you know, powerful or something like that. Um, it's like they kind of, they got clued into a little secret the world most people in the world haven't realized and, and they're living and they're chasing chasing it you know and and uh it's a real gift to be around folks like that uh, and frankly i think there's a lot of people like that uh you don't have to be wealthy or famous or anything to recognize that and um i mean one of the things about our podcast is that we launched to be able to kind of promote the value of character return on character podcast is we want to talk to both famous and not famous people who think character matters because everybody's story is valuable, uh, especially whenever they're espousing those values. And uh, we just happen to always talk about all the famous people, which which is great too. I have nothing, nothing wrong with that. Well, I think that's how you get people to pay attention so they can find out about those other people they should know about. Absolutely. Right? Yeah, I agree. So um, I want to... I want to talk about something I don't know if I've asked you before. Um, and maybe I won't name names here, but I like some of the ultra, ultra famous people that you can just call up. Okay. And I'll let you name names if you want to, but I'm just thinking about some of the people you've been on some private jets with and some things and well, and like the Jim Senegals of the world that yeah. just, that, that are willing to take your call and like, you know, you're not like an active part of their life, but you made the kind of impression that they're willing to take your call and talk. And, you know, yeah. as we've worked on your podcast together, like the kind of people that are considering being on it kind of things, right? Yeah. They're like, are like major wins for, for anybody kind of folks. Yeah. Um, what do you think you have done differently in your relationship building where yeah. uh, most people don't have that kind of relationship with, with people at that level? I think there's a little bit of the Forrest Gump stumbling into life kind of aspect of me that has just happened. Um, I have this problem that I can never put in a relationship um, or jeopardize a, a relationship for my own self-interest. And I think that has brand a certain level of trust with folks and maybe it's a vibe I put off. I don't know, but, um, but honestly, I just really care about them more than me. And, um, and I really care about them in their lives. And, and I look for ways to, 
champion what they're doing. Um, and, and I get a lot of benefit from that too. You know, there's just incredible benefit both on the experience side and, and support that's happened in the past. Um, but what I never want to be is a person that trades on their name, uh, or their wealth, uh, for the, for, for my own benefit. And, uh, and, and so I just try to be that way. And maybe that's why. I don't know. Um, like personally, I think it's a lot funner to do it that way than to, to, to be angry for your own interests all the time. Uh, you start to get this kind of funny feeling in your gut and you're like, Oh man, this isn't good. And you got to back off. Um, but maybe that's why, I don't know. That could be an answer. But it does make me think about like a really prominent sales principle of like people buy who you are as much as yeah. what you're selling. And so this idea of self-moderation of, of, you know, choosing integrity, choosing character, choosing these things, they don't, they don't pay off immediately. Sometimes manipulation pays off better immediately, but over the long haul, yeah, you know, like if you, if you tell me to list, like, if you tell me, Hey, Jess, who are like some of the most high integrity CEOs, business, par business friends that you know, right? Like, yeah. The list comes to me pretty easy. I'm like, I know a lot of good people. Yep. But I know a few like great people. Yeah. Like, yeah. So I was talking about one of them today to someone else. And I said like, yeah, he's the kind of guy you can trust with your wife and your wallet. That's and awesome. not worry about it. You know what right. I mean? And, um, and that gets around. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. Um. Well, and there's also two measurements. Like we tend to look at the monetary measurement all the time, right? And there's also the measurement, can I look myself in the mirror, you know, at the end of the day? Yeah. And, and that's, that's a big one, you know? Um, so let's say you economically nosedive, but you still have kind of your self-respect. Uh, that's a win. And, and, you know, I don't care about those that don't recognize it as a win because I don't probably respect them very much, but there's enough people that do. And, uh, and so, uh, to me, that's the first measurement of success. Uh, and that's the way I hope my boys turn out, you know, as, as, uh, I'm not going to, I'm not going to be excited if they're billionaires, but jerks, um, I'll be disappointed, uh, if they're not jerks. And they care about other people and are, uh, live life with integrity and work hard and fail economically. I'll be so proud of that, you know? And so that's just, that's how I try to kind of live, you know? And, uh, and that's what I believe also pays in the long run and outperforms too. But, but I think that's, that, that's one of the early secrets. And that really was taught to me by Joe, you know, Joe. Joe never cared about economic wins. He only cared about uh, doing the right thing. Which is funny that that it that it does bring in hundreds of millions of dollars in his case, you know. Well, but you have to understand, he Joe, for those that don't know him, was an options and futures trader that kind of had you know third from the bottom of his class and somehow grew this incredible big company called CRT, but he did it that he had an innate genius for this, 
for, I mean, he was a mathematical genius. And Which he is funny because he's like, not the, you know, he didn't like go to Cal Poly or, or Harvard or MIT or something. He's like a former no. cop at a, you know, I think, like, I, I think he barely graduated like his algebra class, you know, but this is the thing. This is a great thing to bring up. So this guy revolutionizes the options and futures world, makes so many people multi, multi, multi millionaires. He himself very, very well, uh, did very well. Um, and I was at his funeral recently. He died this year. No one mentioned his business. There wasn't even a reference to his economic success. What they talked about was all the ways he engaged in the world and made friends to help make, make the world a better place. And people upon people got up on stage and talked about how, he, how Joe had helped, helped them uh, improve this nation or this situation or so on and so forth. And it wasn't anything to do with his wealth. But, but he was so yeah. personable. You know, like I, yeah. you know, our our uh, mutual friend here, Lindsay Hadley, who we interviewed recently about her TED Talk, right? Yeah. You know, Lindsay had us come out and film him with uh, Hugh Jackman's wife, Deborah Lee Furness, and the First right. Lady um, mm -hmm. from Kenya, right? Mm -hmm. And Joe's just like, he's just hanging out. He's like, He's not walking around like he's a big deal, you know, and, no. um, uh, you know, another another Lindsay thing. She got us into this event at the Vatican. They were doing like social impact investing and we got to hang out with Joe. And it's not just Joe, like the family, the kids, his wife, like his wife spent so much time talking to my wife about homeschool and public school and back and forth yeah. and just like so engaged. Yeah. Minus the ego, you know? Yeah. Yeah. You know. Not all wealthy people are jerks or not human. There are a lot of really great people that are are just normal, you know. And I think but that's we, not a news. But that's not a news story. Being a jerk is a news story, so it gets repeated like crazy. I know, right? And it, it's a built-in assumption, right, all the time. And uh, and that's the other thing about you know return on character investments is that. You really, you're really, really looking for leaders that aren't jerks. I mean, that's, that's kind of a crude way of saying it, but they are out there, you know, and, and it's, it's, it's also the refreshing aspect of doing this is that you're looking for good instead of just being in the muck and mire bad all the time, you know, and, uh, it's just, it's just a real pleasure, uh, to be able to do it, you know, to do that as a focus. <laughs> well, um, as always, it's a pleasure talking. I love that we get to co-host more episodes together these days. Um, for people who want to find out about the strategy and more about you, where are the best places online? Um, the best place to go is ROC, R-O-C, stands for Return on Character, but it's ROCinvestments.com. And you can learn all about our strategy there and how you can participate. And uh, the big thing uh, is, is that we really want to grow our community of, of people that think character matters. And so if you're interested, you can also email me at dan, dan at rockinvestments.com. Uh, I would love to hear from you and uh, tell you more about the strategy if you have any interest. Ah, so great. Okay. Well, uh, what do you want to leave us with today? Um, let's see. What do I want to leave you with? 
Um, nothing comes to mind. I'm going to be honest. Okay. I, I, I think I've just, I've, okay. I've dumped I got, it I got all two, out on the I floor. I got two options for you then. Okay. Multiple choice. You can yeah. either tell us what's something that you would go back and tell a younger version of yourself or what's one of the best pieces of advice you ever received? I, I, I picked the first one. Um, I would tell the younger version of Dan that life is really hard. Being an entrepreneur is really hard. And that when it's really hard, it doesn't mean you're failing. And it, and it, and it doesn't mean that, um, that you're an exception because all of us struggle. It's not a nice trajectory, you know, graph that goes from the left up and to the right. Life's not that way. And so the sooner you can get over the fact that life is hard and celebrate the difficulties and maybe even celebrate more when you get the occasional wins, uh, the more content you'll be. That's solid. That was like straight to me. <laughs> no, this is great. Okay. This is fun. Thanks again for doing this. It's always fun talking to you, Jess. <laughs> okay. Bye, everyone.